you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, we just pray today that you would help us to see the height and the depths of your love, Lord God. Lord, in all things, God, in all things that you are working, that God, in all things that you are good, in all things that you are loving, in all things that you are kind, God, we just pray today that you would help us to see this world from your perspective, Lord God. Lord God, we, we give you praise because you deserve it today, Lord. Yes. We give you praise because you are the rightful King, Creator, and Lord of all. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you are sovereign over all. Lord God, no, nothing happens on this earth that you do, do not know, you do not see. And God, we just, we just give ourselves to you this morning, Lord God. We ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us. Lord, for anyone who's here for the first time this morning, Lord God, I just pray that, Lord, through this time, that you would really reveal to them who you are. Reveal yourself to them. Help them to understand who you are. God, we just thank you for the journey that you take us on, that you give grace to us, that you are patient and that you are kind. And we just pray today, Lord God, that you would help us to fix our eyes on you the author and the perfecter of our faith. Yes. We praise you and we thank you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thanks, team. So good. Um, I was a little daunted this morning when I heard my wife say she was going to fill in for a keyboard for someone this morning, and I'm like, really? You're doing that already? Is Theo, Theo going to be all right? And I'm like, all right, cool, awesome, fantastic. I just, I just really thank God for not just our, our worship team, but for the willingness of so many people who serve in so many areas. And I just want to say thank you. But also, if you play keyboard, if you know how to operate a, a sound desk or a computer, you know, we only have two people, I'm uh, sorry, three, two, three, depends on who's around at the time, that, that's currently are running that, that uh, system up there, and we really need some more volunteers. So please, if you know how to turn, turn on, if you know what Windows is, if you know what a, a search menu is, you can probably run it. We just need to train you. So talk to Hayden. Hayden, give us a wave. Go see that guy. There he is. Give us a, a nice and big, two hands. That's it, that's it. <laughs> Go and talk to Hayden. That'd be fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> well, this morning, I'm wanting to talk to you about... Uh, well, lots of things, but uh, <laughs> how about we start off with this? Have you ever known where you wanted to go but struggled to get there? I have. I, I have at times. Um, I think we, can, we all know where the, the, the goal is. X marks the spot. We know that's the thing we're going after. That's the thing we go, that's what we're aiming for. We, we do everything we get there to get there. And then somehow we end up over there. Ever felt that feeling? Is anyone awake today? There's a few of you that relate. Maybe there's a few that are feeling a little bit sore in the arms. You were working hard in the garden yesterday with all the beautiful sunshine. Um, but sometimes it's a struggle to get where we want to go. You know, yesterday we were down at the lake um, enjoying the sunshine and um, we were looking out at the, the lake. It was, it's a little bit like that, looking over the sun setting over the lake. It is beautiful down there. And... Uh, we were just looking out there and Joseph says, oh, Dad, can we go canoeing tomorrow after church? And I said, oh, maybe, because we have a canoe and we, we like canoeing together as a family sometimes. 
not with eight of us in the boat at once, in case you're worried. Um, and Theo has not yet been in the canoe, yes, and he won't today either, just clarifying that. But uh, we, we like going for a canoe, and I was looking out over the lake, and it reminded me of a time where uh, I went on a canoe trip from, from the, the scout club there over to Meredith Park, and that was an adventure um, that I won't go into. Um, I'll just say it's really interesting when you've got a group of about eight guys and you take two tents and you forget to take the poles with your tent. Um, anyway, we did another trip after that. That was a practice run for another trip we were going to do along the Jallybrand River. And uh, it was great. We went, went down there. We, we checked it out. We, we, there was a few of the older ones. We went down there and checked it out, made sure it was all safe and good. And then we came home and the next week we were going down. That weekend there was a massive storm. And like the water level went up about two metres and there's dead sheep floating everywhere and there's trees floating everywhere and it was crazy. Anyway, we, we're down there on the Jellybrand River and it... Uh, sorry, my clicker's stopped. Oh, I turned it off. There we are. Um, it didn't... That's not actually it, but it looks a little bit like that. And we, we're cruising along this river, but it's flowing quickly and it was windy as anything, as it always is down around Princetown, but... Uh, it was great fun, but it's really difficult to keep a canoe going straight when you've got the current constantly pushing you into the, into the side. Or, or I think sometimes it's even harder if it's, if it's going forwards with you and just pushing you across. You sort of don't notice it. It's almost harder than when the, the, the wind and the current's going the opposite direction because you can feel it t tugging you. But you just... When, when, when the current is pushing you in one direction, it's so easy not to notice. We can so quickly get off track, we can get off course when the current of everything around us, the water is just steaming forwards in a certain direction and we can quickly end up where we don't want to go. Now hopefully we don't end up in that place because I think it's too late. Um, that guy is in a blow-up canoe. I'm thinking, whitewater rafting in a blow, blow I, I don't know much bit about canoeing and whitewater rafting but uh, that just doesn't seem like a good idea. Anyway, if you get to that point, you're probably at the point of no return but... Um, we want to think this morning about the direction we are going, the direction we're going, where we want to go, and are we actually headed in that direction? We're going to begin a new series this morning, looking at the book of Exodus. And Kids Church are doing this too, they're looking at Exodus all through this term as well. And uh, actually I want to point out that we've got some copies of a, a study guide up the back there that you can do as a, an individual, it's got some tips as a family, the things you can do to, to help you look at God's Word together and, and meditate on God's Word together as a family. And there's about 20 copies up there, but if they're gone, we'll, we'll print some more off for you if you'd like one. You might like to use them in life group or whatever. We're going to talk about Exodus for this next 10 weeks or so. And this morning, rather than me just talking about it, I thought we might dim the lights and we might look at the screen and have a look at a, a short video uh, about the book of Exodus and what's happening at that time. Thanks, guys. But we need some sound. This is the story we all share as the people of God. He draws us out to draw us in. From the birth of Israel to the church today, God delivers and dwells with his people. This story began several thousand years ago, and it began with a promise from God to Abraham that he would make his offspring more numerous than the stars in the sky, a great nation who would one day dwell in the promised land. 
More than 400 years passed, and Abraham's descendants had not seen this promise fulfilled. Instead, the Israelites lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. Fearing that the Hebrews would grow into a mighty nation and overtake them, the Pharaoh of Egypt forced them to work as slaves. But Israel continued to grow. In response, the Egyptians increased their oppression of God's people, and Pharaoh gave a terrible decree. Every son born to the Hebrews would be thrown into the river. But a Levite couple defied this order, trusting God's will for their son's life. And God did have a plan for this child. Pharaoh's daughter found the baby and took pity on him. She named him Moses because he was drawn out of the water. As Moses grew older and saw the suffering of his people, anger burned within him. When he witnessed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, Moses killed the man and fled Egypt to hide in the desert. Years passed and Moses made a new life for himself in Midian. Then one day the voice of the Lord called out to him from a burning bush. God told Moses that he saw the persecution of his people in Egypt and he heard their cries. He promised to deliver the Israelites from slavery and he commanded Moses to go before Pharaoh on their behalf. Moses was terrified. So God sent Moses' brother Aaron to go with him. The brothers went before Pharaoh, performing signs and wonders, but Pharaoh would not listen. So God brought down plagues upon Egypt, yet Pharaoh's heart remained hard as stone. To prepare for the 10th and final plague, the Hebrews marked their doors with the blood of spotless lambs. That night, the angel of death passed through the kingdom, killing the firstborn child of every Egyptian household that did not bear the mark, including Pharaoh's. Heartbroken, Pharaoh told the Israelites to go. They were finally set free, and the Spirit of God led the people out and toward the Promised Land. But Pharaoh's grief soon turned to rage. He changed his mind and then commanded the Egyptian army to pursue them. When the Israelites came to the Red Sea, Moses lifted his staff to the sky and the waters parted. The Hebrews passed through the towering waves and the Egyptians were swallowed by the sea. The Israelites found themselves in a harsh wilderness. Though they had just witnessed God's power and might in rescuing them, the people doubted their deliverer would provide and instead complained of hunger and thirst. A few days later, they found manna on the ground, sweet and good to eat. And the Lord told Moses to strike a rock with his staff, giving them water to drink. The Lord had provided yet again. As the Israelites approached Mount Sinai, Moses delivered a word from God. If they obeyed and kept God's covenant, God would make them his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people promised to do so. Three days later, the mountain shook as a sound like a trumpet grew louder and louder. Then the Lord came down in fire and smoke. When the people heard God's voice, 
They grew afraid, and they asked Moses to speak with God on their behalf. God gave Moses many laws and instructions, including the Ten Commandments. And the Hebrews promised to worship the Lord alone and to keep his laws. Moses spent 40 days and nights on the mountain with God and returned to find the people bowing down to an idol. They had forgotten their promise. Moses burned the idols and atoned for the people's sin. And though God punished the Israelites, he did not destroy them completely. After the Israelites repented of their unfaithfulness, they went to work making everything that the Lord had instructed. They sewed fine garments for Aaron and his sons and consecrated them with oil for their service as priests. They built the Ark of the Covenant to hold the tablets of the law and also built the tabernacle where God would dwell with his people. Yahweh, the one who drew them out of slavery. And though the Israelites would endure more strife and hardship, they continued on in hope toward the promised land. The story of Israel is the story of us today. We are God's people. He draws us out to draw us in. And like the Israelites, we still await the promised land in the midst of our sin and suffering. Yet God is with us. If you've never read the book of Exodus before, there's a little overview of where we're going this term as we look at the book of Exodus. If you've seen it before, there's a little refresher. Fantastic. I love that saying they say, that he draws us out to draw us in. He draws us out of bondage and slavery. He draws us out of those things to come into his presence. How about we just pray now? Lord God, we just thank you for this series looking at the book of Exodus, Lord God. We just ask, Lord God, that you would help us to understand the truths of what you did with your people as they came out of Egypt, Lord God. We thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, Lord, for the things that you have done and the things we can learn from what you have done in the past, Lord God. We thank you for this book. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd give us a desire to read your word, to study your word, to understand the truths of your word. And help us, Lord God, as we look at it together this term, to really understand and grasp your faithfulness, Lord, your goodness. Lord, that we would understand that you draw us out of sin to come into your presence, that we would enter into eternal life with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we, we started off by doing an intro to the intro of this series, and we looked at Abraham, or Abram as he was known. As he got older, he became Abram, and he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, who had 12 sons, and we know that Joseph was one of those sons. And he got thrown in the pit and sold into slavery and, and then put in prison and uh, ended up in Pharaoh's presence uh, as second in command over all of Egypt. And we know that through Joseph, God's people, Israel, were delivered from famine. And uh, sorry, they're the kids' pictures that we're looking at there. They're going to see them out there this morning, but there's a little sneak peek of what they're seeing. And, uh, but we know as, as time went on, a pharaoh died, a new pharaoh rose up who did not understand who Joseph was or who the people were, and they became slaves in the nation of Egypt. But let's just not talk about it. Let's read it from Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, encourage you to open it up. Uh, really encourage you to open up the book of Exodus this, over these next few weeks and read along some of the passages we're going to be looking at. Um, Exodus chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is, Jacob, 
who moved to Egypt. Can you see that move to Egypt back there? It's just a little bit tricky. Not too bad. That's good. <laughs> who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. And in fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Actually, I was just going to point out, did you, did you think about the fact that uh, Jacob had 12 sons? It's like, that is a huge family right there. We have six and it's crazy sometimes. It's like, did you think about that? I just had to point that out. Like, you think we've got a big family? You look at them. That's big. Anyway, they greatly multiply. I think they probably all had 12 kids after that. Anyway, um, extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us. They are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithon and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. I wonder if you can think of a time when someone blessed you. A time when someone blessed you, gave you something, did something for you. Uh, something, a time when someone just blessed you in a way that you hadn't expected. I remember when I was 18 years old, we were driving down to Bible College in Melbourne every week. And uh, I think, actually, sorry, we weren't driving. We were catching the train, which took forever. <laughs> you catch the train and catch the connecting train and then the connecting bus. And it took us like four or five hours to get to Bible College. And then partway through the year, someone rang up and said, from the Bible College, and they said, Andrew do you need a car? And I'm like, I'd love a car, but I don't have money to buy a car. <laughs> and I'm thinking, great, they want to sell me a car. It's actually, no, we, we want to give you a car. I'm like, what? Sorry? And it's like, the next question is, what is it? <laughs> and I was given a car to drive to Bible College with and to keep afterwards as well. Um, later on, I crashed that car. And I said, well, God, you provided that car. I, I need another one now. Um, but anyway, um, God provided a car for me. And maybe God hasn't blessed you with a car. Uh, maybe someone's blessed you with a hamburger when you were hungry. Or maybe someone's blessed you with some chips one day when you had nothing to eat at school. Maybe some chips that you dropped on the sand at the beach. And the sand got... Anyway, if you weren't here last week, you didn't get that. Um, can you think of a time when someone blessed you? In some way, some shape or form. You know, it's wonderful to be blessed. Maybe even blessed by a friend, your parents, a school teacher. Maybe the, the, some doctor has done some amazing thing and blessed you and it's given you new life. But you know, we should never look to that person to think that they are the answer to our problems. You know, there's a, there's a word to describe what, um, when someone falls in love with someone who cares for them. It's erotomania. There you go. 
as opposed to, um, what's the other one, Nightingale Syndrome, where it's like the carer falling in love with the one they're caring for. Erotomania is falling in love with a carer. So in other words, someone, someone looks after you, they help you, they bless you, and it's kind of like, oh, wow, you are amazing, you're the answer to my problems. No, they're not. They're never going to be the answer to your problems, because you know what? Everyone will fail you at times. And it's great to be blessed, it's great to be encouraged by people, and it's great to be an encouragement to people, but we aren't the answer to anybody else either. God is. Jesus is the answer that they need. Number one this morning, I want you to remember this. God is the giver of good things. You may be blessed by someone else, but realize that the source of that blessing comes from God. Every good thing comes from God, our Savior above. Every good thing is a gift from Him. And let's worship the giver, not the gift. Sadly, some people today twist the gift into the thing that they think is the answer to their problems. Maybe their work, maybe their pleasure, maybe whatever it might be, that we can, we can get things twisted at times and we think our answer is in the gift and not in the giver. We can get... I'm getting ahead of myself... The family of Israel were starving. They were in, in a place of famine. And then through Joseph, they get rescued as they come into the land of Egypt. They, they go into Egypt and they have, they have food, they have, they have blessings, and it was beautiful for them. They multiplied, they, they, their, their families grew, they grew in, in power and strength, the Bible says, and there was a great blessing in that season for them. But Egypt was not the answer to them. Egypt was not the place for them to stay. It was a blessing from God that they were taken there, that they could be, they could be blessed, they could multiply, they, they, they were saved from famine. But Egypt was not the answer to their problems. I want to ask you this morning, what's your Egypt? What's the thing that God has blessed you with in your life, something that you have enjoyed in this life, but actually, it's, that's not the thing that God has called you to. God maybe even wants you to walk away from that thing and to, to walk into the future He has for you. Because that thing, that place, that, that season, isn't His calling for the rest of your life. I wonder what's your Egypt? Maybe a little bit like Egypt, it's been a blessing, but it's turned toxic you know, we can have mentors and, and people who disciple us who are great blessings to us. But, you know, sometimes people go off the rails. Sometimes even someone who, who, who taught you the faith goes off the rails. And it can be heartbreaking, but never think that that person is your saviour. Never think that that person is the answer to your problems. God is. Jesus is. And sometimes a, a blessing that God gives you for a season it's a time to say, okay, thank you, God, for that blessing, for that season, but I'm going on from this place. I'm going to open your word. I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust that you are my strength. You are the giver of good things. You know, every parent of kids ever, I'm sure, has some form of nappies that they've used. I don't quite know how they do it in some nations where they don't have any cloths or anything. But you know, Nappies are an absolute blessing when you have young babies. Anyone agree? Like, I would not want to live in a house where you didn't have any form of nappies, whether it be cloth, recyclable, foldable, disposable, whatever it is. Nappies are a blessing. 
But there comes a season where that blessing is no longer a blessing if it stays forever. You don't want your kids to stay in nappies forever. Like, gross. Can you imagine a 16-year-old kid? You're changing the nappy. Like, You don't want that blessing to stay forever. Move on from that season. Enjoy the blessing. Thank God for that blessing, but move on with God's strength and God's grace. We don't want to become dependent on any person or anything than God. We need to know our Egypt because you know what? When, when, when Israel moves out of Egypt, when they finally are set free and they go in and they're on the way to the promised land, what do they do when things get hard? They start going, oh, we want to go back to Egypt. Like it was good there. That was the good old days. We'd rather be back in Egypt than out here in the wilderness. And we need to know our Egypt because when things get hard, when life gets tough on this journey towards eternity, we can be tempted to go back to our Egypt, to that other thing that we've enjoyed. It. And maybe it's not even a blessing from God, that thing that we've had pleasure in in the past, that thing we've fi- found some kind of comfort in in the past. Maybe it wasn't even healthy for us, but when we, in a hard place, we get tempted to go back to that Egypt. But it's a curse and no longer a blessing. Don't go back to those things. We need to know our Egypt. Let's listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, reading on. It says, So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithon and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. You know, God is our source no matter what, even if it seems like every situation is against us. He is your source and your, is your supply. Verse 13. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. There's two more names I haven't heard catch on lately. Anyway. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. I'm going on from there. Verse 20. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. This is the evil that his people were living in. You know, it, it, it should grieve us as we hear that. It should grieve our hearts to hear that anyone would put a newborn baby to death like that. It's the evil that his people were living in. But can you believe it? After God delivers them from this, as we'll read in coming chapters, as they escape from that evil, as they go out into the wilderness towards the promised land, 
things get hard and they want to go back to that place. They want to go back into Egypt. That's, that's the lie of the enemy to think that evil is good and good is evil. It's the lie of the enemy to twist the truth and make us go back. Point number two this morning, when we face troubles of any kind, let's look to God. He is our provider. It doesn't matter what trial, what trouble you face, let's look to Him. Let's turn to God in prayer and say, God, please help me. Let's be honest before God. Let's, let's cry out to Him. I love the Psalms because just, you just hear David pour out his heart, sometimes in anger and frustration, in sadness, in grief. Let's just come before God honestly with humility and say, God, lead us on from this point. He is our provider. It's interesting, if you read the last part of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, it says, this is Joseph speaking, he says, Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, when God comes... Not if. He said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. Joseph's saying, you know what, guys? You've come to Egypt. We've had a great time. It's great, but I'm about to die. But God is going to take us to the land he promised to our descendants. I'm going to die right here, but don't you dare leave my bones here. I want to go, even if it's my bones. He's like, guys, don't forget, we're not called to live in Egypt. This isn't our home. And church, we need to remember that this is not our home. This earth is not our home. Our home is an eternity with him. We've given our lives to Jesus. It's no longer I that lived, it's Christ who lives in me. I don't live this life to, to please this, this physical body. I live this life to, 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 to help others know the hope that I have in, in Christ and that they too may enter eternity with him. This is not our home. Let's not, like the Israelites, think that Egypt is our home. God's calling us out to draw us into relationship with Him. For us, what are we looking to? What are the things that we look to week by week, day by day, to give us comfort, to give us pleasure? When we face trials, what do we look to? Where are we turning to? Maybe we just get stuck more and more into our work. We just think, I'll just forget about everything. I'll just work harder and forget about all those other things that are going on in my life. Maybe exercise has become an addiction to you. I'll put my head up and say, that can happen. <laughs> Maybe there's really destructive things that you're turning to in your life. There's, there's drug addictions. There's addictions to, to substances and things that are just destroying your life. Maybe there's other things that you're turning to TV can become an addiction that we just try and numb the pain of the things that are going on in this life. Instead of turning to God, we, we turn to things of this world just to numb ourselves. But that is not God's plan for us. Point number three this morning. God will not let sin go unpunished. God will not let sin go unpunished forever. And I've got to say, even as I say that, I think that's not a popular thing to say in 2019. 
We live in a world that wants to believe in a God who's loving and kind. It, kind of, it doesn't really matter what you believe. God's loving, God's kind, He's good. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Like, you know, he, Jesus died for everyone, so it's all okay. But that is not the truth of the Bible. That is not the gospel Jesus taught. That is not the gospel of Christianity. And you know what, if you look through history, it's only really the last hundred years that, that, that people have thought, well, God's loving, so he won't judge people. It's, it's a lie of this century that people have, 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 have bought into this thing that God is loving and kind, so he won't judge people. It's a total twisting of what every other person in the church through history has understood God to be like. God is loving, he is kind, so he must judge sinfulness. He must judge wickedness. God is loving, God is kind, so He will judge. He will judge all sin. Now, praise God, we have the answer in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to take the punishment for our sin upon the cross. But there are still consequences for sin. You know, Billy Graham was quoted before he died as saying, either judgment will come upon this generation or God will have to apologise to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, you read through the book of, uh, through the New Testament, you say, Andrew, isn't this Old Testament you're talking? You read the New Testament. There are consequences for sin. 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about taking communion with a wrong attitude and bringing God's judgment upon ourselves. It says, some of you are sick and even died because you drink and eat judgment upon yourself. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit, they sell their home and they say that they're giving the money away, they were told they didn't have to, but they lie. And you know what it says? They drop dead in that moment. It's really quiet in here now. Acts chapter 12, King Herod. People begin to praise King Herod and worship him, and it says King Herod accepts their worship, and it says the angel of the Lord struck him with a sickness, and he died. There is consequences for sin. And I think as nations, God deals with nations when nations go astray. Let's get back to Abram. In Genesis chapter 15, God speaks to Abram about the coming captivity in Egypt. He says, Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants, the people of Israel, will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. You know, it shouldn't have been a surprise to them that they were in captivity, and it shouldn't be a surprise for us when we face trials and troubles in this life. Jesus told us it was going to happen. Verse 14, But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. And guess what? They did. Verse 15, As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. And he did. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. Or another translation says, the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its completion. In other words, God's saying, Abram, your descendants are going to go into Egypt, and they're going to be slaves, but then I'm going to judge the Amorites for their sin. But you know what? I'm going I'm to hold it off. I'm going to hold it off for 400 years They'll be slaves, but then judgment will come. And God is gracious. God is kind. It's not his will that anyone should perish, but all should turn to him. But God will judge sin. You know, Leviticus chapter 18, God speaks to Moses. 
as they're out in the wilderness. He says to Moses, as you go into the promised land, in Leviticus 18, verse 20 to 25, he says, you must not do these things that the people in the land are doing. You must not have sexual relations with anyone but your husband or wife. And he kind of expands that if you read the whole passage. He says, you must not sacrifice your children. You know, the Bible says that God knew us the moment we were conceived in our mother's womb. The Bible says you were, you were known, you were, you were knitted together in your mother's womb and God knew you and he loved you. And you know what? In our nation, across the world, one of the biggest killers of, of babies in the world is abortion. Babies that are being knitted together in their mother's womb that God knows and he loves. And God says you must not put your children to death. Third thing he says you must not practice homosexuality. That's what God's Word says. I know our world may say other things, but this is what God's Word says. He says you must not practice bestiality. I don't even want to go there in my thinking. You must not do these things or you too will be judged. You too will be punished. He says as a nation, you will be spat out of my mouth. You'll be spat out of this nation. You'll be driven from the land. You will be judged. Do not be deceived. Do not practice these things or judgment will come upon your land. I believe just as God warned them, I believe he wants to warn us about the, the, the drifting of our culture. Do not just go along with the drifting of our culture. Do not just go along with the flow of the world around you. Look to God, listen to him and repent if you need to. You know, God will forgive. God will offer forgiveness. Maybe some of you... Even the things I said then just, just bring a grief to your heart, but God is a God of forgiveness and mercy and grace. And he will not turn you away if you turn to him and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Help me live for you. you know, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. That's pretty easy to remember. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 22, uh, verse 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. You know what? I love coming to church. Even though sometimes I feel a great weight of joy and responsibility of preaching and sharing God's Word with you, I love coming to church because I get to hang out with you guys. It's like, you shouldn't be too awkward about that. That should be cool. It's like, yeah, because we're pursuing righteous living. We may not be there yet. We may fumble and stumble and fall at times. We may struggle. But I love the fact that at least I know the majority of us most of the time are pursuing righteous living. And you want to encourage me and I want to encourage you. And it should be a joy to us to get together in fellowship. Amen? Amen. You turn the person beside you. I'm like, I love hanging out with you. I hope you mean that. Anyway. Paul says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, the temptations you face are no less than what others experience. And if it's causing them to fall, you better be careful. At the same time, your temptations are no greater than what other people are experiencing. So you know what? That person that's not doing that thing, you know what? He's still so facing the same temptations you are, and he's choosing to do the right thing. So please, 
Listen to God and do the right thing. It will go better for you. I'm getting excited. The temptations in your life are no different from others' experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so you can endure. So run in that path. When He shows you the way out, take it. Go there. Run after it. Don't stay in that place of temptation. Get out of there. Don't try and be big and bold and say, I can stay in the presence of darkness. Get out of there. Or you too will fall. So we see Pharaoh and the Egyptians killed many, many children. They put them to death. They, they slaughtered them. They threw them in the river. The Israelites saved as many as they could. And it says, so God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. You know, sometimes we can't escape the world we live in. We can't escape the things happening around us. But God blesses obedience to him. And we never want to forget that God is our provider. God is our provider. The laws of the land may say, throw the Hebrew boys into the Nile River. But God is our provider. And he is our judge. It's him that we will give an account for our life on the day we meet our Savior in heaven. God is our provider. Jesus is the one he has given that we may have eternal life. It's not comfort, it's not pleasure, it's not doing this and the other thing and the other thing. They are not the answer to the problems we face. Jesus is the one that he has given, that we could be set free from the power of sin and death. We have a conversation as a family this week about what it means to be a Christian. And some of the kids asking, it's like, well, is that... Is that person we know from that place a Christian? Like he, he said he's a Christian. And we said, I said, well, what is a Christian? Is a Christian someone who goes to church? And they're like, well, we talked about that. No, a Christian isn't necessarily someone who just goes to church. A Christian is a person who follows Jesus. A disciple of Jesus Christ who, who turns from sinfulness and turns to him to follow after Jesus. Because he is our provider. He is our saviour. He is the hope that we have. There is no other foundation that will stand than Jesus Christ. He is the rock. He is the one that will hold us firm through every drifting current and season of this world and the climate that we live in. He is the rock. He's the anchor for our souls. Let's not look to any other thing. Let's look to him, the saviour of all who turn to him. Jesus has taken the punishment for our sin, for anyone who turns to him, that we may have eternal life. I just want to ask the band to come, and I just want to pray this morning. I want to pray for anyone this morning who's just, maybe God's putting his finger on something in your life, and he's saying, stop looking to Egypt. Stop looking to that blessing that I've given you to try and find comfort. Lord God, I just pray that you would give us grace in this moment to be honest before you, God. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to humble ourselves and say, God, I am sorry for my sinfulness. God, I'm sorry for, for looking back and thinking the blessings are in the things of this world. God, I pray that you would help us to truly repent, to turn away from sin and turn and follow you. 
I thank you, Lord God, that you call us out of darkness to come into your presence. Lord God, I just thank you that anyone who calls on your name, anyone who prays that prayer and says, God, I'm sorry, please help me live for you, you will answer their prayer. Just in this moment, I just want to encourage you just to respond to God. If he's, got, if he's putting his finger on something in your life and saying, you've got to give it up, you've got to give it up. Let me draw you out from that thing. Let me take you away from that thing. God, help us to run from sin, to run after you. God, I just pray for anyone in that situation this morning, right now, this morning, Lord. Probably every one of us can think of something in our life that, Lord, we're saying, God, help us to turn away from sin, to listen to your call. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for anyone here this morning that they're making that decision for the first time. That, God, they're saying, I want to turn away from sinfulness. I want to turn away from these things that are just going to bring destruction in my life. God, we just pray. We, we just pray, Lord God, that you would help them to continue on in this journey. Lord we, God, we just thank you that, Lord, when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. Because, Lord God, you want us to live. You want us to have life and life abundantly and even eternal life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can be free from the power and the effects of sin for eternity because of Jesus Christ. And Lord God, I just pray that you would stir us, that you would give us boldness, that you would give us courage, that even as we go through the journey of being out of Egypt and being foreigners and strangers in this land, that God, you would give us courage and boldness and faith to walk this journey through until we reach the promised fulfillment of eternal life with you. God, I just pray as we read through the book of Exodus that we would see your faithfulness, your goodness, your grace, your mercy time and time again, that, God, we would be inspired to live this life for your glory, God, that we would, we would follow after you, God, but, Lord, also we would call to all those around us and say, come and find the one who loves you. Yes, he judges sin, but he's calling you to be free from the judgment. He's calling you to come after him and find life and even eternal life. Lord God, we just surrender to you right now. Lord God, we ask you to have your way in us. We pray Jesus be glorified. We thank you that you are our hope and that it is secure and that it is sure. Thank you, Jesus. I want to ask, can we stand right now? We're going to finish this morning by singing this song. You know what? It can be, it can be easy to sort of just feel really kind of somber at this moment, but I want to encourage you to sing this song with joy and excitement because we have a hope in Jesus Christ that will never be shaken. He is the anchor for our souls and nothing, no matter how strong the currents of this world might be, He is our hope and He is our anchor. Through every storm, He will hold on to us. He will keep us and He will never forsake us. The world around us may be drifting, but He will never let go of you. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's give glory to Him this morning. Praise God.